TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Well, good morning. Happy Sunday. We won't talk about what we could be doing right now, right? We're not going to talk about how there wouldn't have been a hard line this week because I would have been tailgating. At, we're not going to do that, right? That's no mention of what could have been, what should have been. No mention of 13 seconds. We can get that all out of our systems. Well, welcome. No, unfortunately, it's not a game day hard line. Getting ready for what could have been happening in Orchard Park at 3 o'clock. But I will promise you this. We have a packed show. We have an informative show, and I'm excited to be with you on this chilly Sunday morning in Buffalo. Welcome. It's been another fascinating week of uh, political discussion here on WBEN, and time to wrap it all up. We will be covering local, state, and federal in the next two hours, and why not get started with our first guest. He is running against... Current Senator Charles Schumer for U.S. Senate in the year 2022. His name is Joe Pinion, and he is my first guest on Hardline this morning. Joe, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, my friend. Good to be with you. Now, Joe, uh, introduce yourself to the uh, the people of Western New York. You're a, a businessman. You founded Pinion Enterprises, and you are running for uh, Senate against Charles Schumer. Yes. I mean, some people may know me as the most recent host of Saturday Agenda on Newsmax. But for those who don't know me, I'm, again, I've done a lot of uh, political commentary on CBS News and Fox News, Fox Business over the years. Uh, but mostly my background, uh, born and raised in New York. I'm a Yonkers, New York native son uh, just outside of New York City. I had the opportunity to go to Colgate University up in the Chenego, central New York. Uh, go Gate. I uh, played football there, was an English major, but in many ways, again, cut my teeth. Uh, I was left, left undergrad, worked in uh, the tech startup field for a little bit before pivoting, uh, working in the nonprofit healthcare space uh, for a nonprofit in the Bronx, uh, focusing specifically on youth development. And so we were able to start providing uh, bridge grant loans to underprivileged children, about 200000 uh, per year on a recurring basis uh, because we discovered that there are a lot of children uh, that simply weren't allowed to go to their first choice school because they didn't have the extra bit of resources to take care of basic needs, uh, the winter coats, the socks, uh, the, the comforters. And so you have children going to CUNY or Baruch in New York City and not going to SUNY Buffalo, not going to SUNY Albany because they just couldn't actually afford the winter attire to make that transition in their life. And so in many ways, to me, that's a great microcosm for what is happening all across the state of New York for the 19 million and shrinking that call the state home, just not having adequate access to that little bit extra, the little bit of extra opportunity that makes the broader opportunity of everyday life possible. 
Uh, and so for me, uh, we got into this race in many ways to affirm the fact that we need to have representation down in D.C. that works for every single New Yorker and certainly prioritizes the needs of the working people of this country. And Joe, as you mentioned, uh, you uh, host a show Saturday nights on Newsmax, and recently uh, you uh, you mentioned your opponent and uh, his wanting to change the filibuster after a decade ago, uh, having kind of different language. What is, uh, you think, the main issue um, against Charles Schumer going into this election? Look, I think quite clearly uh, you see that in many ways Chuck Schumer has become the thing that he fought against. Uh, he has become an entrenched creature of Washington, D.C., and that is why you see issue by issue uh, the needs of the people that call New York State home have not been met. There is a reason why in the last 10 years one million people have left the state, why New York leads the nation in outward migration, something that you never want to lead the nation in. And it's because by the, by the time uh, Chuck Schumer finishes doing his 62-county tour, uh, taking pictures everywhere he goes for the last 24 years, he has failed to notice that the barns have gotten bleaker because the people that own the farms can't afford a fresh coat of paint on the wall. He's failed to notice that the crowds in his photo ops have gotten smaller uh, because the people that needed opportunity in this state have found uh, that a working-class state filled with working-class people has not nearly enough working-class opportunities uh, to be found to sustain their lives and their families. Uh, so, again, he gets to take the pictures all the people of New York are left with are the negatives, quite literally, uh, because the days of yore, uh, the days of New York being that true empire state are dwindling. They're quickly becoming uh, figments of our imagination, and we need to have a state that we have representation that does not work for the special interests uh, but works for the common man. And when you have a senator that brags about being the senator from Wall Street, you should not have to have any questions about why Wall Street is booming and the common man is still struggling to survive. You know, I also look at uh, at Senator Schumer, uh, Joe, and here's a guy that's been in Washington, D.C., longer than you and I have been alive. Uh, what do you think of career politicians as um, uh, Senator Schumer? Well, let's be very clear. We need term limits, and we need them today. But in the interest of achieving those term limits, we have to elect people who are willing to do it. Uh, Chuck Schumer has been in the U.S. Senate for 24 years. He's been in the halls of Congress since I was in diapers. Uh, so, look, I'm, I'm 37 years old. Uh, I'm, I'm not 50. I'm not 60. So on some basic level, uh, you, you look at what's happened here and you look at these policies. Let's just be very clear. Uh, when you go to your local diner uh, and they have a sign on the window saying that chicken wings are $15, um, it's because of policies that make no sense that he has rubber stamped. Uh, it's because of the fact that he and his friends have been printing money like there's no tomorrow, debasing the value of the American dollar. And that is why we have seniors all across this state that just received the largest increase in Social Security in a generation. And yet that largest increase was wiped out by inflation that has run amok because of monetary policies that simply do not make any sense. Uh, we've seen crime absolutely just exacerbated all across this country uh, because Chuck Schumer was supposed to be the adult in the room leading the conversation about justice reform, and instead he allowed children like Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez to hijack that conversation, utter the three most dangerous words in the history of modern politics, defund the police, and as a result, 
Uh, shootings went up 90% in New York City. Homicide went up 30%. Uh, 12 major U.S. cities hit all-time highs for homicide. And you see the ravages of that pain and that suffering in Buffalo, in Rochester, in Syracuse. Uh, we've got uh, a murder spree in places like Wayne County, New York. Uh, crime is everywhere around us. And, again, if we don't have leadership that has the courage uh, to say that these bail reform laws do not work, that this notion that we will prioritize compassion for the criminal over protection for the law-abiding citizens of this state and this nation uh, doesn't work, uh, then we're going to continue to get the same results. And you mentioned, you know, you're from downstate New York. You went to school in central New York. You know, you know, the, the, you know the state, I think, better than Charles Schumer. Um, do you, uh, you look at someone like Senator Schumer, right? I mean, all of his appearances are usually downstate. He'll, he'll come to Western New York every now and then. Um, do, you, do you think that, you know, a politician like him that doesn't understand upstate New York could be part of the problem as well in representing the entire state? Well, let's be very clear. I think my message is quite clear. Chuck Schumer is not necessarily a bad man, uh, but as of late, he has been doing a terrible job. Um, And yes, in many ways, he was the person that said that upstate New York needed a champion. And in many ways, he was the champion for that common man. Uh, But you cannot elect someone for 24 to 30 years of leadership for what they did in the first six. Uh, And so we just can't afford to give Chuck Schumer a lifetime emeritus appointment to the United States Senate. Uh, We have deep, deep needs. I told the people of Buffalo this past week as we toured upstate New York uh, that if we are unable to win Erie County and we're unable to win Monroe County, we're going to lose uh, this election. Our fate is in their hands, but in many ways the fate of New York rest in our ability to communicate to the people of this state that the time has come to go in a different direction. And so I say quite clearly, I don't care if you're left of Bernie Sanders or right of Donald Trump. Uh, The issues that impact this country have Chuck Schumer's fingerprints all over it. He is the tip of the spear. Uh, He is uh, the corporate Democrat of corporate Democrats that has prioritized the needs of the special interests over the glaring concerns of the common people of this state. So uh, we want people to know our fight is not left versus right. It is right versus wrong. We have data that tells us what is right. Uh, we have people that know what is right. And the issue is electing people with the political will to do what is right, uh, whatever the cost. You know, you mentioned inflation, and if we're not talking about mask mandates during the week on the station, inflation is a very um, hot topic uh, with our callers. What do you think are steps the federal government could take um, to address this inflation, and what are steps that they shouldn't take to address this inflation? Well, I mean, let's be very clear. Uh, Inflation is not simply that your dollar um, is worth less. Inflation also has to deal with with the fact that we're passing policies uh, that in many ways force the cost of goods to accelerate. You look at no further than the price at the pump. Uh, We're spending $400 million a day additionally on fuel versus where we were a year ago. Every single day, Americans, New Yorkers, spending $400 million additional on fuel. That's not sustainable. And this winter, it's going to be abysmal for people trying to simply heat their homes. Uh, We could stop that tomorrow simply by making sure that we get back to the energy independence we had when President Trump left office uh, by embracing the realities 
of uh, the environment that we need to have natural gas, that we need to have in many ways examine new options for nuclear. We need to talk about the fact that we shut down the Keystone pipeline here at home, but actually greenlit a pipeline from Russia to Europe, uh, all while Russia is hacking our fuel supply uh, here at home. Uh, we had the JB, we had the JBS beef hack of the beef supply by Russian hackers. People have forgotten now about the colonial pipeline hack, where 87% of the gas stations in our nation's capital had no fuel. 75% of the gas stations in Virginia had no fuel. All told, 35% of the fuel supply to the eastern seaboard was shut down because of Russian hackers. Uh, the United States said it has nearly had an investigation into what happened. The president of the United States actually uttered the phrase, we do not think Vladimir Putin is engaged. Uh, this is a type of sexless leadership that leaves the American people vulnerable, and not just from a safety standpoint, but also, again, first the impact is felt in your pocket, next the impact is felt uh, when you see things like Russia getting ready to march into Ukraine. Uh, there is a thread that runneth between all of this, and it starts with leadership that keeps people arguing with their neighbors while they refuse to do the job of keeping us safe from our enemies. You know, I thought it was uh, really refreshing to hear you say that, you know, uh, if you're left of Bernie Sanders or right of Donald Trump, I want your vote. You know, looking at politics today and the the divisiveness of the two-party system, what do you think is the main problem with American politics in 2022? The main problem is that we have gotten people uh, to prioritize their political partisan divisions over their American common resolve. Uh, if you look at what the issues that we are facing today, uh, people want their children to be able to read at grade level. That's not partisan. It's very binary. Do the kids read at grade level or do they not? Um, currently, today, 34% of fourth graders are not reading at grade level, and it gets much worse um, in those places in Washington, New York, and urban hubs. Uh, do, I, do we have an America where we're more worried about putting parents on a terrorist watch list and the fact that we have people taking people hostage at a synagogue in Texas asking us to actually release the lady al-Qaeda, an actual terrorist. Um, something has gone wrong where our priorities are completely out of whack, uh, where we simply do not have government and leadership that works on the issues that are affecting the American people. I say often quite clearly uh, that there is more that unites us than divides us, and it makes absolutely no sense that we perpetually start with the issues where we have the most division and not start on the issues where we have the most agreement, where we can actually have the greatest impact uh, on society. You look at New York State, one out of three black children that call New York State home are living in poverty. Uh, but even beyond black children, uh, we have many New York families uh, that are living in poverty and it's become so normal they don't even realize when we talk about poverty, we're talking about them. We're talking about those small farms struggling to survive. We're talking about the 34% of some people up in Fulton County that are uh, subject to being on SNAP benefits and things of that nature who don't even realize that it doesn't have to be this way, that this is abnormal, that the conditions that people all across western New York have been forced to deal with, their neighbors are forced to deal with, are abnormal. Uh, and it's not acceptable for somebody who represents our interests in an election year to show up talking about a chip manufacturing plant that, if he was going to fight for it, should have been fought for 10 years ago when we knew that China 
and Taiwan was the fulcrum point for 90% of the chips being made. And one to 10,000 jobs tomorrow or two to three years from now does nothing for the pain and suffering thrust upon upstate New York when we've had a million people leave the state, when we've had tens and thousands of people on a recurring basis lose their jobs as the carrier factory shrinks as the Kodaks go away, as the upstate New York that I love spending my time at as a young person born in this state, native son of this state, have watched these opportunities dwindle and go away. And Joe, also, obviously, COVID's still a thing. What have you thought of the state's um, reaction to COVID and the federal government's uh, handling of COVID? Well, let's be very clear. I don't care what your beliefs are. I don't get to tell you what they are, but I do get to demand you be consistent. We cannot have a president that says that we have a a variant of COVID that is so dangerous he needed to shut down travel to eight African nations, but at the same time not vaccinate a single one of the two million people knocking on our back door on the southern border. At the same time, allow people who are coming into our country via the southern border to get on government planes to fly to local airports like in White Plains, like in Abilene, Texas, like in upstate New York, uh, without actually testing any of them for COVID. Uh, that sounds like policy that's not prioritizing stopping COVID, but prioritizing the optics of COVID. And so if we're going to mask children, there are plenty of evidence that says that that is not working. But I'm more frustrated by the fact that we would allow that mask mandate to be satisfied with a cost mask that the very doctors, from Dr. Fauci to your CNN experts, will tell you, do not stop the Omicron variant. So if we are allowing children to wear masks that we know are ineffective against the variant that you have alarmed the world about, uh, then it seems that you're less concerned with stopping the virus and more concerned with implementing orthodoxy. And so when you've got over 30,000 nurses and healthcare officials that have been laid off from their jobs in this state uh, because they wanted to maintain bodily autonomy and not take the vaccine, and then respond to that, you allow them to be replaced with vaccinated people who have been exposed to the virus. Uh, Again, that does not seem to be policy rooted in health. It seems to be policy rooted in orthodoxy. And so I think most importantly, we should tell people, whatever you can, wherever you can, please protect yourself at all times. And this is a real problem that we face. But it's more so a problem today because we haven't accepted the reality that we have gone from pandemic to endemic and the policies need to change. Where is my COVID, you know, where, where is my Moderna cold and COVID pill on the shelf at the pharmacy? Where is my Pfizer cold and COVID pill, right? If we understand concretely that the same people who made the vaccine have now manufactured a pill, that the same people who approved the vaccine say is 90% effective in helping people who are contract COVID get past the symptoms, then where in the world is the Operation Warp Speed to make sure that we can get those pills to the public, that we can get the therapeutics to the people who need them? We have not had that type of robust response in many ways. Government from Charles Schumer to President Biden have been an impediment to the progress, have been an impediment to that type of robust thinking that we need. We need policies that work. We need to take COVID seriously. And taking COVID seriously starts with serious people having serious solutions, not engaged in partisanship in the interest of political power. Now, Joe, before we let you go, people want to know, will you be making uh, any more stops in Buffalo in the near future? Sure, we're certainly going to be up there uh, early and often throughout this process. We'll be going to Albany tomorrow. 
Um, but we'll probably be back in upstate New York in, in over the next two weeks. And obviously, to find out, keep track of where we're going to be, uh, people can go to www.joepinion.com. That's J-O-E-P-I-N-I-O-N.com. They can find us on Twitter uh, and also on Instagram. But, uh, yes, keep up with our campaign. Get engaged because I tell people all the time, uh, whether you're whether you're somebody who uh, lives in New York, whether you're outside of New York, whether you, uh, whether you can give $5 or whether you can volunteer to knock on doors, uh, we together – uh, can go in a different direction for the first time in 24 years. New Yorkers have a chance to have a choice and make sure that they have the robust representation and principal stewardship they deserve. And someone on our, on our text board wants to know, uh, can they still catch your Saturday Newsmax show? So as they say in life, one chapter ends, another one begins. Obviously, um, it could not keep the show and run for office. Uh, there's obviously certain conflicts of interest and you know journalist ethics uh, from a certain standpoint at that point, I can't be talking about uh, the politics of New York and also running at the same time. And so, you know, we are all in in this endeavor uh, to make sure that we can have an impact in this election to be victorious on Election Day. Uh, that is a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week commitment. I'm making that commitment because the people of this state deserve better, the people of this nation deserve better, and our time to achieve that more perfect union is upon us. Well, Joe, uh, next time you are in the Buffalo area, hopefully we can get you in studio and chat again. Would love to do it, my friend. Talk soon. Thank you. That is Joe Pinion. He is running against Senator Charles Schumer. Uh, We did reach out to Senator Schumer um, if he would also want to come on the show today. We are waiting for the response. It is 1029. When we come back, we'll be talking with Buff State Professor Peter Iacobucci about the happenings in the Supreme Court this week. You're listening to Hardline on WBEN. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome back. It is Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Thank you for waking up with me on this Sunday morning. We, uh, as I said, you know, we're we're not going to think of what could have been. We're not going to, uh, we're, we're going to go on with our Sunday morning and talk about the things that have been. 
And our next guest is Peter Iacobucci from Buff State. Professor, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Doing well this Sunday morning. Uh, you know, trying to forget what could have been happening at 3 o'clock today and just... Joe, I think everybody that's listening wishes we were out at the stadium right now preparing for a home game. I'll tell you, I, you know, I had tape ready to go. I was ready to I was ready to be tailgating. But, you, <laughs> you know, every now and then you just got to let reality hit you. And uh, I guess that's why we're here. Uh, Professor, today uh, or today, this week, we heard of Stephen Breyer's retirement. And we'll get into what that means and what to look forward to. But what will Stephen Breyer's legacy in the Supreme Court be? Well, I was thinking about this before this interview. He, he's a justice from a different era. We're in a very aggressive us versus them political atmosphere, and that's not uh, Stephen Breyer. When he was originally suggested to be a member of the Supreme Court, he was suggested by the conservative member of the Senate, uh, Orrin Hatch, a Republican, to Bill Clinton, the Democrat, who said, this is just a good guy. I love working with this guy. He works across the aisle. Um, he's quiet. He's behind the scenes. He's smart. He's a negotiator. He's a compromiser. And I thought one of the ways to sort of summarize uh, Breyer is he would rather have a half a win than a full loss just straight on principle. So he does not believe that the law is simple, black and white. He believes that the law is complex. And as a result, you don't see him writing opinions that get quoted for 100 years would be my guess. He tried to find the center ground between the left and right on the court. Seems like um, something that is is lesser and lesser every day. That's right. And look, I think both parties have sought out justices in the last 30 years that are more closer to their ideological base of their party as the ideological base of the parties move farther and farther apart. And as a result, there's very little left of the center of the court. We have a very... Um, hard right court right now with six conservative justices, five very conservative justices. And then on the other side, we have two remaining liberal justices after Justice Breyer retired that are pretty hard left. And so the, the center ground, which used to be the strength of the court, is now hollowed out. And, and that 6-3 majority, that's good. I mean, it, it seems like now everyone, you know, when they retire, decide to retire when a president of their party is in power, uh, it, it doesn't seem like that 6-3 majority is something that's going to change much over time. No, I, I think that's right. I think, and I think, I mean, we'll, you know, for a long time in history, we'll go down at Merrick Garland not getting his hearings. Um, that made that 6-3 majority. I mean, it would be 5-4, to four, uh, and but with Merrick Garland being held up for over a year, um, that added a seat for the Republicans, Donald Trump, to add Neil Gorsuch to the to the right side of the court, and another thing that I, I was surprised by you saying uh, that a you know a conservative politician uh, suggested Breyer to a Democrat president again. It seems like, and that was only thirty some years ago. It seems like that commu- kind of communication uh, just doesn't happen in D.C. anymore. No, and it, and, and I, look, we can go off on politics, but you know, it used to be. I used to work in D.C. It used to be. Well, yes, there were ideological differences between Republicans and Democrats. They came, you know, they would put their point, but they came together to come to a compromise. That's not the case anymore. Now it's, you know, we're going to win or we're going to do everything to ensure that the other side loses. And it's, you know, it's unfortunate. You know, the, 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 the tension that now is in D.C. is the highest it's been, in, 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 I would say, in certainly a century. 
Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Professor, now looking at the, the, the Biden's list of people that can replace Stephen Breyer, who are we looking at and who is the favorite at this point? Well, I'll, I'll give you three names and, and one sort of dark horse. So the, the favorite right now is Katanji Brown-Jackson. She's 51. Um, she has a Harvard Law degree. She was the editor of the Harvard Law Review. She currently sits on the D.C. Circuit Court, which is the court right below the U.S. Supreme Court. And she was approved to that court through the Senate just last year. And so she's kind of a shoe-in. If he nominates her, it would be very difficult for her to not be approved because, you know, she really hasn't even made any major decisions on that court yet how could you change your mind um so she's the favorite uh, the other two i think that are possible you know sort of second and third favorites is leander kruger she's 45 she also has a, a harvard undergraduate a yale um degree she was the first black law review editor um at yale um she uh, is currently a california supreme court justice and uh, she was also the acting solicitor general under Obama, and Biden would have worked with her when, when uh, he was the vice president. And then my third person is Michelle Childs, and she's 55. She has a public uh, university law degree from the University of South Carolina, and she's backed by James Clyburn, the very influential black um, uh, member of Congress that really was instrumental for Biden winning the Democratic nomination um, she has been nominated for the D.C. Circuit, but her nomination is pending. She was just nominated a month ago. Um, and so those are my sort of three favorites. And I will say it is very rare that you see a, a, a black or, you know, out of the blue pick. Um, the last one was really Harriet Myers by George uh, Bush, and that was kind of a disaster. The other dark horse I'll give you is uh, Sherilyn Eiffel. Sherilyn Eiffel is uh, older. She's 59 um, but she just is, is in the process of stepping down of the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund, which was founded by Thurgood Marshall. Um, she is a uh, common presence on social media and on, and on uh, national television, speaking about voting rights, affirmative action. So it, she certainly would gain a lot of attention. And it, it depends what Joe Biden wants to do with this nomination. I mean, what's the, what's the aim he has of putting this individual on the court? So this will take a month or so, and then we will see the uh, the, the Senate process. And with the Democrats having the slim but having the margin, we shouldn't see anyone get any kind of pushback, right? I think you'll see pushback. I mean, I, you know, people have said, you know, it's 50-50 in the Senate, and uh, the Vice President Kamala Harris will break the tie. So for the, there is a unification of Republicans against. The Democrats would have to keep everybody but the wavering senators that, that Biden has run into over and over again on his domestic policy agenda, uh, Joe Manchin and Christian Cinema, uh, the, they, I would be surprised if they don't back one of these individuals. I would be very surprised. And I also think for the Republicans, um, and this is you know Mitch McConnell's calculus, it really does little good to the party to put up a fight if that fight is going to be in vain. Um, and I think it would be. Um, especially because this does not change the ideology on the court. You would be appointing a, uh, a left-leaning uh, individual um, to replace a left-leaning individual. You know, if it was someone, if this was a person that was replacing a Clarence Thomas or a Sam Alito, some of the older members on the right side of the court, then you would see a pitched battle. But I think this will go smoothly. Chuck Schumer, the majority leader, Democratic majority leader, said he wants to move quickly. And my guess is uh, that this individual will probably be appointed by the end of this term and then take the place of uh, Justice Breyer starting the next term next October. 
Right. So we so we will still have one more session um, with Stephen Breyer. And how long does a uh, Supreme Court session go till? Um, the final decisions are normally released uh, the last week of June. Although recently we've had a couple in the very early first couple days of July. And so, but but as far as oral arguments and hearing cases, those will be done in May, and then the opinion writing is occurring. Opinion writing is occurring right now. And, that, you know, just to sort of announce Harmon now, because normally they would wait a little longer in the term. There have, you know, speculation that he has seen the draft opinions coming out of the court, and he just doesn't want to be part of it. The court is about to take a dramatic right turn um, historically, probably this spring. And, and you're going to see case after case on abortion, gun rights, voting rights, uh, affirmative action. Uh, affirmative action might wait till next uh, session, um, moving to a very a farther right position than the court has been for 50 years. And looking at that court, uh, who would you say would be the next to retire? I, I guess that's, you know, guessing what will happen in the White House in two years. But who would you say is next on that list of uh, justices to retire? Well, barring health problems and, you know, some many of these justices are elderly and they do have health problems. Um, barring that, I, I would be very surprised to see any additional justice retire prior to the uh, 2024 presidential election. Then, depending on the 2024 presidential election, if a Republican wins that election, um, I think you should, could see Clarence Thomas retire. It'd probably be the most likely. If a Democrat wins that election, I, I think Sotomayor and Kagan are probably going to stay on longer. They're, they're not, you know, to the, because now the, 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 sort of normal pattern is a, a justice will stay on into their mid eighties, just as justice Breyer is 83. Um, and none of the justices are at that point. And, you know, the justices are now being appointed. Think of Amy Coney Barrett is 50 years old. She's going to be a member of the Supreme court probably for the next 35 years. Wow. 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 And now, you know, there was a lot of talk during the election and stuff and, you know, a lot of stuff is just social media banter, but you know you like to ask about it. This this notion that we we heard of earlier in um in the election last year in 2020 of packing the court. Uh, what's the realistic um, chances of that ever happening? Well, I, I, I certainly not from President Biden. President Biden has been explicit and clear many times. He's been asked this question: Would you consider adding uh, seats to the court? That that certainly can be done. Um, and that's done without a constitutional amendment. The Congress has the power to do that. Um, Biden has been very, very surprised to see um, Biden do it. And, and that since the Republicans right now control a conservative court, they certainly wouldn't add members to the court. Um, I think the next chance of that, any possibility of that happening, there would have to be a different Democratic president elected to the presidency. And, and, and you know, just one one more uh, one more thing. And I, you know, you do uh, political science. You, you keep your eye on all this. Looking at the uh, the midterm elections with a Democrat president, what usually happens this time around uh, when you have the party that controls the Senate and the House and a Democrat president? Are we going to see some shifts in D.C. in November? Well, I think whether it's a Democratic president or a Republican president, the the sitting president's party normally gets beat pretty badly in midterms. I mean, that's the normal. And, you know, I, I think with that, and including we've just going through a, ger a gerrymandering a redistricting of seats right now following the 2020 census, and that has added um, more Republican-leaning seats, in, especially in Republican-leaning states. 
Um, I think it is going to be very, very difficult for the Democrats to maintain control of both houses in Congress, um, especially the House um, and the Senate possibly as well. So come January 20, what would be 2023, we could be looking at a return of uh, Majority Leader uh, Mitch McConnell and possibly a new uh, Speaker of the House to replace Nancy Pelosi. And, you know, this is something I, I, I ask everyone this question. I know they laugh at me, but I, I think with what we've seen in the last year, it, it's a question worth asking. And, and you mentioned Joe Manchin and uh, Kirsten Cinema. Is there any likelihood one of those two go independent, switch parties? Because as you pointed out, they've kind of been a thorn in Joe Biden's side his first year. Um, I don't, I, uh, Joe Manchin, I would be very surprised if he switched party. Kristen Cinema, maybe not. She has she's someone of an enigma. Uh, you have to remember when she started into politics, she was a very left leaning uh, community activist, you know, from the left side of the Democratic Party. And many of her uh, staffers that originally worked with her simply do not recognize her anymore in her actions in the Senate. Um, and so I think, you know, she is a to predict i would be surprised i could see I, I certainly would be surprised if she converted over to become a republican but i could see her becoming more independent and i think it really depends on her electoral success i mean if, if she gets a very hard challenge from the left in the democratic primary for when she reruns for senate um she could say look if, if i'm not going to win this primary i might as well run as an independent and then um if she's able to survive that election all bets are off of who she caucuses with when she returns to washington and these two is, and I know this is more personal opinion, but is this their views uh, more to the middle, or is this because they're in both in very purple states? I mean, Arizona, purple state, West Virginia, becoming more of a red state. Does that have a lot to do with their pushback against Biden? Well, I, yeah, West Virginia is not a purple state. West Virginia is almost as red as it gets. I mean, it's it's quite remarkable that Joe Manchin is still serving in Congress, considering the the populace that he serves in West Virginia. That is one of the most supportive states of Republicans. Um, I think it's that. I think I think lobbying, you know, we the lobbying of those individuals, because the Senate is so close, 50 50, that you just need one individual to break ranks with the Democrats and the Republicans are able to stop uh, Biden through any of his initiatives. Um, the lobbying on these two individuals has been unbelievable the amount of money that's been flowing into their campaigns from right-leaning sides the amount of pressure that they've just received at home from phone calls into their office and so i don't think for either one of them it's necessarily purely ideological i think both especially joe manchin has always been a centrist he's not been a left-leaning democrat um i think for christian i'm she's difficult to predict because she's moved so quickly to and while the, her state has not, if you look at the population of her state, the public opinion in her state, it's actually slightly moved to the left. And so she's a little more difficult to predict. Professor Peter Iacobucci from Buffalo State, always a pleasure uh, speaking with you. And thanks for joining me on this Sunday morning. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. That is Buff State Professor Peter Iacobucci. And, you know, when we have uh, the name of the the next justice or the one that will be uh, up for a vote. Obviously, we will have the uh, professor back and uh, and get the uh, the rundown on um, on the new justice. So that happened this week. What also happened this week, as we know, was a decision in Nassau County saying that the mask mandate was unconstitutional. 
The next day, we had a stay on that decision. To break that down, we have Assemblyman Angelo Morinello joining us at the top of the hour after news with Alan Harris. And then we will get our rundown that we always get here on Hardline, the week in Washington, D.C., from our friend at Business Insider, Dave Leventhal. And I'm sure Dave and I will also mention what happened last Sunday. Another hour to go. It is Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.